But let's go ahead and get started. It's, it's 3.30 now, uh, 6.30 if you're in Sydney, or 3.30 if you are in Cambodia, as Luke has chimed in here and said. You know, we're going to continue on. We're doing a live taping of our 7 Investing podcast today. This is kind of exciting. We're doing it live in front of a live audience. If you have questions, please ask them in the chat, which you see on the right-hand side of the screen. But welcome to our 7 Investing podcast, where it is our mission to empower you to invest in your future. I'm Simon Erickson. I'm joined by Nirvan Mahanti here today from Sydney, Australia. Nirvan, we just in our last podcast talked about Snap. We talked about previously known as Snapchat, now Snap Incorporated, the company's woes in digital advertising. We're going to talk about another company that's pretty volatile these days, Upstart Holdings. We've called this What's Up With Upstart. This is an AI-based company that's going up and it's going down. And I, I think we should really get into the nitty-gritty of what should we expect and what are we seeing. Uh, let me hand it over to you first. What is Upstart as a company? What are they doing and what are their ambitions out there? Yes, yeah, so Upstart is a fantastic like, – it's, it's a fascinating company. It's a fascinating company because at, at a high level, what they're trying to do is they're basically saying um, – so they have got a, a website, upstart.com. People come there looking for loans, uh, they can fill in some details and very quickly Upstart can decide whether or not they're going to get a loan, right? They don't look necessarily at FICO scores. So, you know, the traditional way of measuring people's credit score, but they look at a bunch of other factors and are able to sort of uh, accurately classify the risk level of, of a person seeking a loan. Now, bulk of the company has focused on, the majority of the company has focused on personal lending. So basically these are people who are, are taking loans to pay off higher uh, interest debt or are taking on loans to maybe start a business or something like that. But these are personal loans that, you know, and typically to people who are sort of, you know, in the subprime, you know, or the low prime or subprime category, right? So people with, you know, lower credit scores. One of the things that they're able to do is they're able to uh, automate a lot of this process. So 70% of the people to 80% of the loans get approved instantaneously of, of the loans that they give, right? So not everyone who's coming in gets a loan, but those people who get a loan, you know, for them, they could be approved almost instantaneously. This is all powered by algorithms. And they have shown us data in their disclosures that show how they're able to better segment the population. So in, 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 the, in terms of the risk profile, right? So there might be people who are say 720 plus in terms of FICO score, but they could still be very high risk of defaulting. There could be people with 500 <laughs> FICO score and they could be actually very credit worthy, right? So there's, there's, there's the segmentation that they're able to do at a much finer granularity. So that's what the business is. The business is about taking the data that they collect from people on and other orthogonal data sets that they have and making assessments about the ability of this person to uh, uh, to pay back the loan and also their risk level. And based on that, they come up with the interest rate for this individual uh, who is seeking a loan. So that's what the company does. The company has now sort of uh, tried to diversify itself into also doing auto uh, lending uh, so, uh, and also into small business lending. But these are much smaller and still more experimental components. That's the business. Now, the key thing here is that this is not a bank. So they don't actually lend. So they're basically a marketplace in the sense that they bring in people. So they have a funnel which attracts people to apply for loans. Those, those loan applications come in. And then basically the company is saying, well, I think this is the loan we should, this is the rate at which we should offer. Then that loan needs to be picked up by someone, either a bank, a community bank, or 
uh, institutional investors, which is basically then routed by a couple of their routing banks. Routing banks are banks, uh, I'm calling it routing, but they're basically seasoning banks. They're banks that hold the loan for a few days to make sure there's no fraud or anything, but then that loan is sold off to investors, right? So it's a marketplace where uh, lenders and borrowers meet with the middle place, the, the upstart being the market, and they are facilitating the lending by telling uh, both parties what the rates should be, and they're taking a cut. So basically taking a fee for help. It's, it's almost like mortgage borrower, um, uh, um, almost like brokers and mortgage brokers where, you know, basically I'm getting a lo loan to happen and I'm going to get a small fee for that. They service the loan as well and there's some servicing fee that they get as, uh, along with. So it's a fee-based business, which at, at first glance basically tells you that you know, the more loans that get issued, the more money they can make. Um, if loans are less loans are issued, then less money they make. It's not recurring revenue in that sense. So they're not a platform company which says, okay, here's the platform that I'm making available to the banks. And the banks that are participating in this program, they can tailor the algorithms in the sense that they can, you know, they can tailor it to their banking needs and their needs. But it, they don't charge a fee um, to the banks in, in that form. They're not saying there's a, you know, recurring annual revenue that, you know, or annual fee that you need to pay for using our platform. It's basically based on fees. So it's not recurring revenue, it's a fee-based uh, program. So that's the business in, in general. And one of the first things that we can think about here is that therefore the demand is gonna, you know, how many loans are gonna get issued depends on A, how much demand is out there from borrowers, and B, uh, whether or not those borrowers that want loans, you know, they have a corresponding buyer <laughs> or a corresponding funder of that loan. So, you know, the lender has to be there. So it's, it's a, it's a two-sided network in that sense. The lender has to be willing and the borrower has to be willing. And, uh, therefore it's, it's, uh, you know, it's susceptible to economic, uh, macroeconomic change. So that's what's the high level, uh, you know, structure of the business. Next and, and at, at, at the final point I'll point out, it's very cost efficient as a business. Contribution margins are extremely high, so you can you know you can think of contribution margins as basically sort of you know the cost for you know issuing or or, or, or you know make, making these loans and then the revenue that they're, they're getting and it's pretty high because I think it's a very capitalized business as you can see that they don't have much to invest really other than in technology uh, you know AI expertise to sort of keep expanding their lead in uh, how they decipher the credit worthiness of people and, uh, you know, some sales and marketing to basically, you know, get that funnel going in terms of bringing in people, whether that is digital advertising or, you know, traditional mails or social media or, you know, you know SEO, whatever it is, or with other credit partners and things like that, like people like Credit Karma, for example, that you try to funnel in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the business. And I think it's a very capitalized business. And uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity here in the sense that, you know, uh, the market for personal lending is pretty big. Market for auto lending is six, seven times that. Then I think you mm -hmm. could sort of take this idea and the bigger, I think the bigger idea here is we think of the market today as the market of people who are getting loans. But one of the things that we can see from Upstart's data is that they're able to better fragment or segment the market. It means they're able to find hidden credit worthy people. In other words, the market should expand is, is the other thing to realize that there are a lot of people probably who are credit worthy who are today not getting those credit worthy loans or not even trying because they think that they are not going to get it. Um, so, and that I think it's good overall for the society, you know, credit basically oils 
modern, is the oil that sort of moves, or greases, oil that greases the modern society. And it's very important that people get access to credit. So that's at a high level, the company. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, those markets that you mentioned are, are trillion-dollar markets, right? Just consumer lending, and then you mentioned auto loans, and then even mortgages that they can kind of expand into. Those are massive, and you've got a team here that comes from Google. A lot of the executives are, are from Google, and they said, you know, we can crack this, and we can use the right AI algorithms to match up, like you said, the lenders with the borrowers. Um, my, my, I think my, my next question is, now that we understand the market opportunity that's out there, let's talk about the business itself, because... As you mentioned, this is one that's exposed to the macro. It's a challenging macro. Uh, rates are going up. You know, maybe there's a recession on the horizon. Maybe there's less um, uh, ability for people to repay, especially some of those subprime borrowers. We hear about that every single day. I don't think you can go more than six minutes without saying Jerome Powell <laughs> in, in the headline of financial media. They're just out there every single minute of the day. But and everybody, is this impacting Upstart's business and its actual results that it's showing? It is. Unfortunately, it's impacting the big time in the sense that Look, so one way to think about this is if the if you can make 3% uh, or 3.5% on a treasury, right, you know, uh, uh, and you want to make uh, a return on your money in terms of yield, that is different from when the return on that treasury was like 1%, right? So there's that gap, right? And as that gap widens, the yield that you can get from investing in upstarts loans from a financier's point of view decreases the gap, right? And that makes it less attractive in the sense that you're not taking on this risk of potential default and you're getting, you know, the gap between the treasury and this uh, yield is less. So I think that's, that's, that's almost, and that's what basically Jerome Powell is doing, right? I mean, he's upping the interest rate primarily to um, to oops, excuse the background view. <laughs> um, Jerome Powell. Someone said Jerome Powell, I and mean, there was yeah. a need for another Jerome Powell in six minutes. Yeah, right? so, there's, so, so Jerome Powell moving around. Uh, apologies for that. Um, Go ahead and do so, it. So I think it, the, the whole point of interest rate rises is to reduce lending, right? And one would think. And for obvious reasons, one would think that the lending is impacted more so at the riskier end, right? So that's kind of what is happening uh, at Upstart is that, you know, banks are feeling risk averse. The lenders, the financial institutions that, you know, buy these uh, loans are feeling, you know, that, you know, they're being risk averse. And therefore, what is happening is that another way to think of this is that all the people that are coming in asking for loans that upstart thinks should get a loan a lot of them are actually not getting a loan because there is no corresponding buyer or no corresponding funder uh, or lender for for that loan because they're saying oh i'm going to pass on that right so and the way we i, I think i think we can see this is typically um, upstart provides a metric called conversion it provides a metric which basically says of the, all the legitimate queries that came in, what percentage of those got converted to loans? One of the things that we saw is that that number was steadily rising over the past few past few years, right? That number has plummeted significantly last quarter from like something like twenty two percent down to like thirteen percent, right? Uh, and that no one wants those loans right now. You're yes, nobody wants yeah. to give out those loans, and 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 yeah. and, and, and and it makes sense why that's happening. And for a company like Upstart, when you go from the 22% loan approval, and you probably have fewer inquiries coming in as well, right? So the inbound is low, lower now, 
and then the conversion is also lower. So the net net effect is that the total amount of loans that you're issuing goes down. And to f the frustration for upstart management would be that, oh, there are so many of these loans that we think are not risky that are not getting picked up because our funding institutions think they're riskier <laughs> than we think, <laughs> right? And, and that is a frustration that they have um, and, and for that, they have, you know, gone back and forth in terms of, you know, should we use our balance sheet, should we not use our balance sheet and, 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 and things like that to fund those loans. Um, and and I want to talk about that. Here. Yes, I'll pass it back to you. Hold up. In fact, maybe let's tie that to the question here that's from the audience. Um, actually, before I get to that, a reminder that we do subscriber calls every month with Seven Investing. that You can actually chat directly with Anirban about his actual recommendations. Uh, we won't disclose what your actual recommendations here for this podcast in Irvine, but this is kind of a beautiful segue to what we get to do every month, which is always fun on the, uh, the, the third Thursday of each month. But let me get to the question here that AG, that AG is asking is, is, is to your point there about management putting the loans on their own balance sheet in Irvine. He says, what's your view on Upstart's leadership ability to execute and, and navigate through this bear market, they've made some decisions you've actually been kind of critical of these last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I think like, so the, okay, so you can make it, the problem with these things is without having the full story, without being in that board meeting, without being a fly in that board meeting <laughs> or in those executive meetings, you're going to kind of uh, make uh, some or some conclusions that are, you know, you don't know the full story is, is, is what I would say. So here's the thing. As an outsider, I would think that it's much smarter this time because you're a capital light business to sort of pull back on your costs, keep your absolute minimum costs in terms of investing in the business, which is basically the AI algorithm. So keep investing in, in those things. And for when you think of consumer lending or personal lending, they have got a lot of data already. It's not like they're running out of data. And maybe they want data from, uh, from this period of this macro uh, environment where there's inflation and supply chain issues and the oil crisis and you know cost of capital is going up. So maybe they need that data to further refine their, um, their engine. But they're getting plenty. They did like $3 billion of loans last quarter. It was down from what four billion the previous quarter, but they, they still did three billion of loans. That's a plenty of data points in terms of the you know collecting data. So they, in my opinion, they could have foregone. They could basically say, well, we, you know, we don't have the money to fund some of those loans, so we're going to let those go. We're going to cut our costs in advertising to you know expand our contribution margin. So one of the things that they are saying that they're able to do, their guidance basically says that revenue goes down, but contribution margin goes up. So it's just pretty, pretty phenomenal, right? I mean, revenue goes down, you think the margins will go down, but actually it doesn't go down because you can control the costs in terms of advertising that you do or marketing that you do, probably is the right word. So I would personally prefer cutting costs and putting that money into buybacks. If you really feel that the future is bright and the opportunity is huge, then buying back your stock at these levels probably is the smart thing to do. But management is sort of taking the view, and management initially took the view that maybe, well, initially they said we need to we need to fund some of those loans from our uh, from our balance sheet, and and their logic was that there are these the marketplace kind of gets broken down. The marketplace breaks down if you start turning away people who are legitimate borrowers, right? Because then they might not come back. You give somebody a loan today, they will come back maybe in three years for another loan. Right. Whereas if you turn them away now, they might go somewhere else and that lead kind of vanishes. Right. So so they, from a marketplace point of view, they're saying, well, we need to 
you need to give some of these loans. And the only way to do this is to then use our balance sheet. They've got some cash in the, you know, they're close to a billion dollars, $800, $900 million of cash on their balance sheet that they could, uh, they could use. And then I guess in their mind, they're probably thinking that if the market becomes better, then instead of holding you know, the, the situation, the market improves and the macro sort of stabilizes, then you can sell those loans into the, uh, in, you know, because people buy loans all the time. So at that point, you can just sell off the loan and you get the cash back. So maybe that's what they're thinking to stabilize their market. Now, they initially said they would do this and then the sort of the stock market gave them a big shellacking. <laughs> so then they said, no, we're not going to do this because you guys said no. And, and I think that's a bad way of running a business because you don't want to let the stock market decide how you're going to run the business. I think that, in my mind, is just not right. Then they went and thought about it, I guess, and then said, no, we are going to actually use our, <laughs> our balance sheet to do this. Uh, and uh, so it, it seems like, you know, they're making these decisions, decisions that maybe seem like a little bit knee-jerk type of reactionary uh, movements. And I'm not a big fan of that because that sort of, that's an easy way to um, destroy a business. So that's been sort of my big issue with them. Now, the final point I have is if you have, say, $800 million of cash in your balance sheet, you can lever it so you can become a leveraged balance sheet and then you can give out maybe $3 billion of loan. But their CFO indicated that they're not going to do that. They only want to use a couple hundred million dollars to sort of, but a couple hundred million dollars of lending on a $3 billion of base is not a lot. And $3 billion in a quarter, right? That's roughly, even if it reduces to $1 billion, that's like $4 billion in a year. And how much is a couple hundred million in that? It's not a lot, right? So it's not really clear to me why again they've not articulated that decision making process and then the, one of the things that they've said that makes sense is that they need people uh, in the in the lending spectrum those people who are providing the funding they want people who are going to invest across the cycle and that makes sense right you know those people who invest say, in junk bonds they they make money by in being invested across the cycle right and yes you go in and out at different scales and things like that but you need to be invested across the cycle and then so building this long term funding partnerships is important that too, to me, though, seems like now is not the time. <laughs> now is the time when you're not going to get those good deals, right? You want to you want to make those decisions at from a position of strength, right? So if if I was running the business, uh, I would sort of be right now be going into sort of okay. I just want to survive and get through this. And at some point, when the rates stop moving, one of the problems right now is that the in the in the two-year treasury and the ten-year treasury are having wild movements. They're like the stock market. <laughs> right? <laughs> they have VIX on them. <laughs> if we looked at their volatility. And that is really, uh, I think, creating havoc for this business. So, uh, yeah. So that's my take on them. I'm not a big, I think I'm a big fan of the business uh, overall in terms of their the structure and their opportunity and the algorithms because these, those things seem to be working. What is not clear to me is the decision-making process at the management level. They seem to be a lot more driven by the stock price uh, movement, right? And that is, just seems to be the wrong thing to do, right? And then, you know, maybe these are all rookie uh, CEO, you know, newly public company mistakes that they're making. And, and I'm just surprised that they're not, you know, that they're not getting better feedback maybe from the board, or maybe I'm not privy to, you know, as, as I said, you know, we're not privy to the internal discussions they're having and they've thought through this carefully. And then in the fullness of time, we'll agree that, oh, they made the right decisions. I, again, there is that uncertainty. And everybody, we'll talk about the stock here in just a minute because I do want to chat about all the volatility that we're seeing. But back to the excellent points you just made about the business itself. 
you said that kind of inevitably you have to choose between growth or contribution margin, right? Are you just going to go out there and flood a whole bunch of loans that you want to train your AI algorithms with and get a whole bunch of data from, but you're you're kind of sacrificing perhaps if you do that, the contribution margin, the profitability of the business. Um, is it, and back to the decision making that Dave and Paul are making uh, of what they want this business to serve. Um, are the loan? And this is my first question: Is are they? Do we know if the loans that they are putting that they are funding with their own balance sheet that they're not? They don't have a partner that's picking them up that say we want those loans, but it still flags as a green flag for Upstart. They say this is a person that should be getting this loan. We're going to fund that. Do we know if they are making accurate calls on that? Are these people that really should be getting those loans, or are they becoming up delinquent or non-performing? Do we know anything about that yet? Well, what we know from past data points is that their loans have performed significantly better than sort of what their baseline predictions have been. Now, the loans, though, some of the loans made during uh, sort of the tail end of the COVID years are actually underperforming, um, but you know, other than that, they have traditionally actually overperformed, right? But what they have pointed to is that in aggregate, their loans are have always done much better than what sort of their baseline projection. And in a baseline projection for their loans might be they're looking at 12, 13, 14, 15% returns, right? So if you're looking at a baseline 15% return on aggregate, that's pretty solid for, for a yield investor to be making, right? I mean, I don't know, they would not probably make all of it, but I mean, that's pretty good. Uh, some of that has dropped to 6% now, uh, which is below what sort of they had expected of their baseline predictions where, and again, I'm, I might be off on some of those numbers, but they're still better than, you know, investing in the treasury, for example, right? So I think they are making the right decisions in terms of the loans. And uh, again, we would not, we don't know how much of, they, they have R&D loans, which are sort of separate from the other loans, right? Uh, the marketplace loans. And we don't really know in the fullness of time whether you know they made the right decisions or not. But I, I like I think in, as I said, I think what they're planning on doing is, or they think, is that they make the loans, and when the the sort of the macros or when the rates stabilize, they could sell off those loans from their balance sheet and get cash back, and they might get more or less based on the fair value of the loan at that time because that's going to be a function of the, of the ongoing uh, interest rates at that time and things like that, right? Remaining period and how much interest you're going to make and all of those things factor into uh, the fair value of that loan. So they, I think you'll be able to offload the loans at some point in time. So that's, I think, what they're thinking is that they'll be able to offload the loans from the balance sheet. And, and I, you know, we're going to chat about the stock here in just a second, but I think that one last point that I want to make on this point is that if they are showing high accuracy of making, of, of matching the right loans and, you know, high quality uh, people, borrowers that maybe are not, you know, hitting, hitting the right boxes and the FICO score, FICO scores and everything else out there, but they've identified them as high quality and they've shown with their own balance sheet that they still are making very accurate loans and they're preserving the contribution margin of the business, like you keep pointing out for us, which is fantastic. Um, maybe this is just kind of some macro uncertainty, some some speed bumps you're hitting along the long-term path. And then those markets, if they can actually have the, the borrowers and the lenders, it's still the marketplace. It's, I mean, like we said, trillion dollar markets, if they still are best in class and they show that the AI algorithms work, that still sounds like a valuable company to me, even if we go through some, some rough times in here. Am I, am I reading that correct? Do you, do you think the same thing in your bottom? Well, I think so. Like, on, I mean, on, you, know, on, you know, without specifically talking about the stock, but I mean, you know, what the market cap is like $2 billion plus something. It's got $800 million in cash. So um, it's almost like priced at sort of, you know, this thing is never going to grow. It's going to probably go bankrupt and things like that, right? I mean, it is, you know, I'm not saying that it can't go lower, um, you know, but, Hey, it is priced as if 
that nothing's going to ever happen. Uh, and, you know, maybe there's a price even just if you think of the technology, right? There's got to be some price for that technology too that they have built, which, you know, seems to work in the algorithms and all these engineers that they've got. So, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I, I think being patient with this one is worthwhile. The fantastic thing is, you know, we're going to chat here about Upstart's stock. Um, a reminder before we do that, if you do want to see our, our stock market recommendations every month, 7investing.com slash subscribe. You'll see Anirban's pick uh, here in September. You hear, you'll see my pick. You'll see all seven of our advisors' picks. In fact, if you use promo code 7 at the checkout page, uh, we'll give you a special deal on the first month. So you can go in there at a very reduced rate. Uh, about uh, 86% discount, I think, in Airbon is what we're giving for that promo code. Just to get in and check things out, we really uh, want you to embrace everything that we're building here with 7 Investing. But let's talk about the stock here in Airbon. Let's talk about Upstart. We've talked about the business. We've talked about the market. Stock has gone all over the place. It's a 20-bagger at one point last year from its IPO just two years ago. It's now given up a lot of those. It's still up. Uh, about 50% from the IPO. I think it, it went public at about $20 a share. We're sitting at around $30 a share today. Uh, so maybe when you zoom out, that's still a good return. But I think all of the focus right now has been Upstart's getting crushed because of the macro economy. Um, what's your thoughts about Upstart at $30 a share right now? Well, as I said, I think it's very interesting because I think, like, you know, right now, its valuation is not capturing any of the upside really, right? It's capturing a lot of the downside, right? I mean, it can go bust, you know, loans could freeze completely. Um, you could have deflation, you could have stagflation. It captures all of that nicely. It captures all the worries that we have got, but it doesn't capture any of the upside. So, I mean, the risk reward, you know, this is, I mean, this is a risky idea. If you think about it as an idea, right? You know, this is one of the thing, you know, the things that we are talking about. This is on the risk spectrum, it's a very high risk, but I think potentially also very high return. Um, you know, and I'll leave it to you to talk. And if people think about how, you know, one way to know is that, you know, your metric, I, I was going to say the short interest, right? One way to think about how people think about this business is just look at the short interest. That tells us something about how the sort of the investing um, community, if you, if you like, or the investing world thinks about this business. And let's chat about that a little bit. The short interest, you know, if this is an unfamiliar metric for anyone who's listening, this is the percentage of the the free float, the, the publicly available shares that are available for us to trade. What percentage of those are actually uh, being bought and borrowed for, for a short position, for people that are betting against the stock today out of all the shares that are available out there? And everyone, from what I've seen, you know, a kind of a healthy short interest for most stocks is kind of 7 8 10%. Um, Upstart now has got, I checked it just a moment ago, bear with me. It has a short interest of, oh goodness, I had it right in front of me, now I've lost it. 41%. <laughs> it had a recently a short interest of 41%. That is incredibly high yes. for a company like this. Everyone is betting against uh, Upstart. You said they've got a share buyback in place. You've got a competent management team. You've got a business that is accurate in the loans that it's matching. Um, it's being priced like it's going out of business, right? It seems like there's some catalysts. We're always investing for the long term, but just short term catalysts. You can't ignore some of this stuff, right? Yeah, I, I mean, the thing with the short interest though is like, you know, as you just rightly pointed out, so these are, this is the percent of shares that have been sold short. In other words, people have borrowed and then sold it in the market with the expectation that they're going to buy it back at a lower price. But if the price, for example, if the business, uh, results, for example, next quarter seem to suggest improvement and suggest that the following quarter is going to be better and the macro has stabilized and now the business is back roaring and back to growth ways. 
there's going to be what's known as short covering. People will have to buy back their shares because the stock will start, will start going up. And the problem with short covering really is that, you know, when everybody's scrambling to buy to cover their short and there are people who are new, initiating new positions as well. At the same time, there's a lot of buying pressure, right? Uh, now, of course, every stock has a buyer and a seller. So it should be all balanced, but you know, you can have a buying pressure and exactly from how the shorting works, right? You know, you sell the stock into the market. Sometimes, you know, market makers buy them and things like that. But if there's buying pressure, uh, just the unwinding of the short can really, really reset valuations, right? So um, we've seen that happen uh, previously. Tesla is a great example where, you know, the short interest at one point was like 38% or 35%. And, uh, you know, when that short unwinded, um it, it was a ride <laughs> it was one of, one of those rides that you know if you were sitting on it and it was going up it was a very good ride to be on um so yeah so i'm not saying that that is should be the should be the driver for somebody to own the stock but it's something to keep in mind and um the other thing to basically keep in mind another way to think about this is that because of the short interest and the pressure of the stock the, the stocks market capitalization is a two billion something right now I don't have the exact number, but it's two billion something. And if you think, well, this was a $30 billion or something, $40 billion business not too long ago. So there is a whole spectrum of opportunity here and what this business could do. And if it, you know, if you think about as, as just Simon said, trillions of dollars of opportunity, if you think about the, you know, if you add personal lending with uh, auto lending, that's a trillion dollar probably opportunity. But even then you stack on, uh, you know, mortgage lending and everything else, this, the, and this is just US only that we are talking about. Right. That's the other thing. There's no international exposure. There's nothing that makes you, you know, one should think that the algorithm should be tunable, right? With, of course, the right data sets and things like that to other opportunities over time. Um, so, I mean, in a way, there's a huge market here and, a, and the opportunity to disrupt big time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to have this additional catalyst of the short interest. <laughs> It certainly is interesting. You know, we're winding up here, and so I do want to close out, but I think it's, it seems like in your bond that people see, uh, a lot of times people will see a stock price that falls, and the assumption is, oh, this is dead money, the business has, fall, has, has fallen apart, you know, there's nuclear bombs going off in the headquarters of the business, but it does seem, though, that with Upstart, there is still a lot to really like in this business. Uh, the performance of the, of the company itself, the accuracy of the loans, uh, the management team, the market opportunity. I mean, just to wrap this all together, is it is it accurate for me to say that you're still bullish about Upstart, even with the stock selling off in the last couple of months or so? Yes, I personally own the own shares in this business uh, for full disclosure, and uh, I'm happy to continue holding. You know, occasionally, if I have some side money left, I sometimes think, you know, should I up my position a little bit? And it's, it's a position sizing thing for, I think, individuals. They need to, you know, size it based on their risk appetite. But yeah, like for me, I hold a stock and I'm in it and I'm going to ride it. Um, I'm going to watch, of course, I'm going to watch what's happening every quarter as, as I do. I mean, you know what's going on, but I, I like to keep this horizon. I, I bought into this company thinking that I'm going to hold it for a long time, right? So it's like that farm that I want to harvest over, you know, decades. <laughs> so uh, unless there's something fundamentally completely broken at some point, you know, this bank business, you know, I, you know, I like to stick to it. That's, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with that approach uh, of investing. And you're, what you just described of kind of being in it for the long term is the same thing as Paul Gu, right? This is the guy that built the AI algorithms of Upstart, has basically foregone a, a, a 
salary. He's basically taking the minimum amount just to be considered a full-time equivalent employee with Upstart. He says, no, I'm in this for the long term. I want it to be long-term equity incentives for us hitting milestones. And to see somebody that important to this company agreeing to things, like, he, he's in it for the long term. you got to look at it and consider things like that too, right? Absolutely. Well, thanks again to uh, to Anirban Mahati, you know, one of our lead advisors here at Seven Investing. Uh, for anyone who's been listening, this has been our Seven Investing podcast. We tried something new this month. We tried to do it live in front of a live audience. A shout out to Luke, to Greg, to AG, and to Ross for posting live chat comments. There's even some sidebar conversations going on in the live chat. We're going to be doing this again. It was a lot of fun. We appreciate you here for being with us. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with our company, 7investing.com slash subscribe to set up either a monthly or an annual plan. We also give a great rate for students who are interested in looking at stock market uh, opportunities and compounding over long periods of time. My name is Simon Erickson. We are 7 Investing. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We've enjoyed this episode of our 7 Investing podcast, and we'll see you again soon. Have a great day. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.